Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of Web3 Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I'm an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and an advisor to multiple Web3 startups. In this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I'm interviewing Guy Silva. He has over 20 years of experience in working in the financial markets, both in the private and the public sector. And one of the things that he specializes in is regulation and how this regulation is going to impact the world of crypto. He is also one of the founding members or the founding partners of Tegas Capital and a research associate at the University of Oxford's Center for Technology and Global Affairs. He is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to crypto regulation and how it's going to affect the future globally. In this wide-ranging conversation, we talk about where the term red flag came from and what crypto regulation European Union is implementing and how it is going to affect or how it's going to change the whole crypto scene globally, especially how it affects United States. Nothing mentioned in this podcast is to be taken as financial advice. I would highly urge you to do your own research, but you would find just the overall themes of where the crypto industry is going or what the future, where the future belongs to. Also, listen to this episode if you are a Web3 developer and you are looking for funding. Um, because towards the end of this episode, Guy shares his contact details and he is an investor himself. So if you are building a product in Web3, then feel free to reach out to him. Finally, I do not run ads on this podcast. It is not monetized with intrusive ads. So I would highly urge you to share this episode with a friend and leave a rating for it in on whichever platform you are listening this to. With all that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. It's great to have you on the show. How did you get into Web3 or this side of blockchain? Thank you very much for, for the invitation to be in the interview. It's a pleasure to be here at your podcast. I got into, 2000, I got into crypto in 2015. So I was working for HSBC for many years in my career. So I worked about 20 years for HSBC. And last post was in Asia. So I was running investment banking from for HSBC in Thailand. And in 2015, I got a sabbatical. So I wanted to come with the family to the UK. My, my position was based in the UK. And in this sabbatical, I said, look, I'm going to, to Oxford to do a master's degree and in, in the area that I like, which is regulation, financial sector. Uh, and this was wonderful, actually, because here in Oxford 2015, remember 1415 was when Ethereum was created. People were talking about smart contracts that we could use the blockchain technology, not only known for Bitcoin. And this was when I was had my sabbatical. So I came across Ethereum very early. So Vitalik came to Oxford, Lubin came to Oxford, a few people came to Oxford. It was a great environment, people discussing about that. That was my 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 contact. I was looking to regulations, but I was doing a master's degree in public policy at the University of Oxford. I still live in Oxford. And this was really cool because I was looking to regulations and financial sector and the smart contracts come in. So application for this can be wonderful. So I went back to, to HSBC after my one-year sabbatical. I was there working 18 months. 
and and then I decided that I should jump from traditional finance to a more like innovative finance. I thought really this was going to be the future, and I joined another company. And we were doing many things on the blockchain space. So we were looking, we we're doing from mining, Bitcoin mining, and Ethereum mining to trying to set up exchange trying to set up forms for tokenization of assets. This was quite early. Smart contracts were still being developed. There are no many standards, but it was a wonderful learning experience. And at the University of Oxford, I stay here as well, linked to the university for a while. So I was helping to run the research group for blockchain and applications to the financial sector within the Department for International Relations. And that also, it was a great experience and put me in contact with a lot of very smart people in the industry. Anyway, that's a long story to tell you how I got into crypto. But once I got it and I compare my day to day on traditional financing and blockchain of crypto, I knew that the future was going to change. So I want to be early one. Oh, that's fantastic. And of course, you're most welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and to interview you and to find out a bit more of insights on for someone who's coming from the traditional finance side, because a lot of the Web3, the blockchain, the crypto industry, it is filled with so many young people. Um, who, yeah, not many old people like me. Like <laughs> and me, and me as, as well. <laughs> yes. it's, they don't have the same perspective. They don't bring the knowledge of the old school world. But I think which is still very necessary. It's like otherwise it becomes like a, like a small cult of all these people who only know of of DeFi and only know of crypto. and But not of if you want real world adoption. We need more people like you, basically. <laughs> and so I want to understand what are the key differences in how things are done in the old school finance and what would it take to bring adoption into the mainstream? I think that from a technology, a technology perspective, just replying to two parts of this question. The first one, I think is quite obvious now, it's become more and more obvious that you having a single record of data on the blockchain that you don't need the reconciliation, you don't need to be coordinated with you know, two or three, four or five intermediaries to make a transaction to settle. It's a massive development of for the industry, of technology for the industry. So I think that's the first point, that the technology itself is undoubtedly very useful for the industry. Of course, the financial sector, together with the oil sector, actually are the most regulated industries in the world. And it's very hard to be pushing and innovating those environments where people are super defensive. So mm -hmm. I think the adoption will come from two things. One is the user experience, which it needs is still to improve. And the other one, of course, is the regulatory environment, which now we're in a very tough time. So mm -hmm. I think we what happened recently in March with SVB, yes. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, this is this, we should not take this lightly. It is it has been unfortunately a game change for the industry. I can talk more about that if you want, but I think the regulatory environment is going to be going through for a year or so of a lot of back and forth, and it's going to take a while really for for things to be uh, to have some more clarity, and that will delay adoption, unfortunately. Yeah, wasn't there some new regulation that came in this week in EU? I heard about it, but I didn't pay much attention or I didn't read it in detail. <laughs> yes, is the is yes. the new law that has just uh, passed. It's called Mika. Yes, yes. Mika, Mika. No, so what? Yes. So M I C A. Yes. So it seeks to establish some rules for the crypto assets in the EU level. So all the other countries should follow that regulation. 
And they are focused also on, on consumer protection and investors and also in financial stability. The usual three words from the regulators is consumer protection, <clears throat> financial stability, and of course, pr- protecting against money laundering. So basically, the MICA, what they ask is for uh, companies to register. If you're working yes. with uh, if you're working with blockchain, if you work with crypto, and if you provide any crypto asset related service that you want to be carrying activity in the EU, you need to register. So it's a very positive news that at least there's some framework specific for crypto for the EU, because in the US, everyone, you know, the regulators say, oh, we don't need new regulations for you, for crypto. I, in my opinion, we do need. Yeah, absolutely. The European, the European Union now is saying, oh, we do need, and it's, it's a phase first framework, because it's still... There's a lot of things outside, so like stable coins have not really been included there. There's a lot of parts which are not in the yes. MECO regulation, but at least it's a good step forward to, to provide an initial framework that now we can yeah. build on. So oh, that's I, fantastic. I, because I do feel like till there is a regulation, companies or other enterprises cannot price their risk. And they cannot enter this field because they don't know that nothing is black or black and white at the moment in US. And I have seen a lot of crypto-based companies try and avoid US consumers because they don't want to get on the bad side of SEC. So they think that, okay, US is only 5% of the global population. We'll just not touch it and just go into other markets where either they are not going to have any regulation for a long time or they have some guidance like mica as you said so i do yes. believe that is the right mica. mica is the mica is the, uh, depends i think if you're speaking in portuguese or in spanish or french it's a mica but maybe mica. Mica, <laughs> mica, mica will be the, yes. the, the right i have no idea which one how to say it. i think it's a probably it's a short form for something i i don't know i have i need to look into it yes it's for crypto so is that the regulation for uh, crypto so i can actually is, is the markets in crypto assets regulation Oh, yes, yes. So that because there is more so markets in crypto assets, I think that's why there's yeah. more regulation. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So and, that's... And we, can, we, we can check on that. And it is going to be effective in next year, 2024, in July, after summer. So oh, okay. there's giving time for for people to adjust. And yeah. yeah, so I think there'll be some more change on that. And they'd be, as I said, there'll be, there's a lot of discussion about the stable coins. There's a lot of discussion about some real-world assets, organization of assets that have not been really covered, but it's, it's a good start. Now, if you compare with the U.S., as we were discussing before, which is, if you saw last week, the SEC chair, Gary yes, Gensler. Gary Gensler, yes. He was, not sure if you copy any other podcast, but he was in the congressional hearing yes. uh, to talk about crypto, and he had a tough time there. His testimony, I think, was last five years. He was quite defensive, to be yes. honest. Ultimately, unfortunately, he was saying that everything is just, all the tokens are security and you don't need new regulation. All the regulations are there. It's just that people don't want to follow it, which is yeah. very sad, to be honest. If you, yeah. I think that approach is very sad. And I can give you some examples. Back in, back, in back in three, four years ago, 2018, the SEC financial director, Bill Hillman, Hillman, yes. He said that he believed the Ethereum was not security. And Gary, last week, he failed to confirm, is Ethereum yes. security or not, right? Yeah, exactly right. So I was going to talk about that, <laughs> that he didn't answer that question, that is Ethereum security or not. Very simple, yes yeah. or no. And he didn't answer exactly. that. And then you cannot say that regulators are clear, just people are not following. So if you have a traffic light which is red, you need to stop. Yes. Yes. If it's green, you go. This is clear. 
Yeah. Now, in his case, oh, all the regulations, all the traffic lights, everything are there. We just need to follow. And then they ask a simple question. Okay, we are going to follow. So is it security or not? Because in 2018, the SEC said maybe not. And yeah. then last month, the Commodity Futures Trading yeah. Chair, Rosen Benham, he yeah. said that was it was a, as a commodity. Yes. was not a security. Yes. So it, I don't think, I'm not sure if you can take that one thing is security is a commodity at the same time. So they ask them, can you confirm is it a commodity, is it a security or not? If you say everything is clear, unfortunately, he didn't, he failed to confirm. So there's a, in my opinion, there's a lot of uncertainty. The US still needs a lot of regulation, but it's becoming very political, unfortunately. It's becoming really political. It's yeah. becoming versus Republican, unfortunately. Crypto discussion is becoming very political. And this is very bad for the industry, for consumers, for everyone. Yeah, yeah. But I have, yeah, I have high hopes for the rest of the world <laughs> still because it's, I follow where the developers are and I see so many developers coming out of uh, South Asia, like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and all of Africa, pretty much, that I do see that a lot of the innovation is going to come from a lot of those markets. Because I remember it's comparing this to some other innovations, like in India, only 6% of people when I was growing up got a landline. They India moved straight to mobile phones. We never got landline. So we pretty much skipped. And same thing is happening now in Africa. They skipped the whole banking and all this financial infrastructure. They never got that infrastructure. They moved straight to crypto for a lot of them, for a lot of consumers. So it's those markets that will lead the way. So that's where I think a lot of the innovation in future is going to come from, whether we yeah, like it or, or not. And then it would be up to, yeah, up to US yeah. to whether they want to adapt or it would be still be old school. <laughs> Yeah, and that's true. And to make things worth, we there's a feeling. I'm not sure if you agree with me, that there is. Let's put the proper words on this, but almost like a witch hunting on yes. blockchain business now. Yes. So not only there is uncertainty, yeah, on the regulatory side, there's also a lot of enforcement actions. Yeah. A lot of you know, regulators going to, to the courts against some business, which is also very worrisome. If the regulation is not clear, and you're going to court against businesses based on your interpretation of a regulation. And if you are the regulator, there's a symmetric power there. Of course, there's the courts, which are independent, which thanks God, you know, the judge look at the law and they can say it's clear or not clear, so they can judge. But they still put a lot of pressure on the business. Also, the expenditures of legal fees and everything. Yes. It is is a very correct thing. So I feel that apart from uncertainty, there's also this very aggressive enforcement, which I think approach, which for our sector is not very positive. One of the examples that I were discussing recently, yes. if you remember, do you remember the, you know, we talk about SVB and Signature Bank, but do you remember the Dodd-Frank Act, right? Yes. Dodd-Frank yes, Act was, yeah, it was in 2010. Yes. I was in the, my hat of traditional finance at the time. Yes. And it was just after the great recession that we had 2008, 2009, the recession. Yeah. And it was called, this piece of legislation in the U.S. was called the Wall Street Reform, right? Yes. So it was called the Wall Street Reform, the Consumer Protection Reform. And some people know it as the too big to fail law, if you yes. guys, if you remember. Yes. And two people behind this, one was Barney Frank. So he was Democrat. Yeah. He was a congressman. And the other one was a senator, Chris Dodds, who also a Democrat. Yeah. And one of the things that they did at that time to protect 
the, the, the industry and the, the consumer protection was to give more responsibility to the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And yes. the other ones to give more power to the Federal Reserve. Yeah. They also asked banks to separate. And I was really involved in this separate different business. You had to qualify if some business were risk or less risk and you had to separate them. It was called, there was a orderly liquidation authority. There was a procedure for you to liquidate if the banks get into trouble and you have to take out some derivatives from balance sheet. You had to you know swaps, credit default swaps had yes. to be set up to exchange. This was a huge reform, huge. And one of the guys, Barney Frank, was a director in Signature Bank. Yeah. Signature Bank that was on the 12th of March, on Sunday of the, the Friday was the issue with the SVB. Yes. The same weekend, Signature Bank was taken by the regulator, by the New York regulator. Yes. And Monday, Tuesday, Barney Frank came and say, what the, what's happening? Because Frank, the guy from Dodd Frank, is in the board of Signature Bank. And he came to a letter later saying, I don't understand what's going to happen, what's happening. Yes. This is just a way, in his words, this is just a way to tell people, we don't want you to be dealing with crypto. It's just a way for regular, this regulatory takeover of, of the signature bank yeah. was intended to send a message to the US banks, stay away from cryptocurrency business. He said they have no fundamental reason at all about taking signature out. And this is very worrisome for if you want to do a business in a country which you respect due process of law and respect yes. entrepreneurship and respect the minimal yeah. the dual process. This was very worrisome. So I'm uh, just to answer to you, I don't want to be negative in this podcast, but I think we are <laughs> yes. in a situation that we, the US has become very challenging. You have uncertainty on the regulatory space, you yeah. have enforcement actions, and you have regulators taking over business just because they are Touching, touching crypto business. And now a lot of our yes. business, do, I do a VC, I, I didn't yes. say that, but after moving to to blockchain, well, yes. what I do now, I'm a partner in a venture capital fund and we're investing in startups up to series A, series B, work on blockchain to, to do innovative things and to disrupt the industry. Yes. And some of our investment companies are great companies, but now they're struggling to make payments in dollars because the bank has been taking over, they close their accounts. You cannot, yeah. you cannot make payments dollar, you cannot receive dollar. And just because they are a blockchain company and it's very difficult. And unfortunately, you know, what Barney Frank said that this was just a message for the banks not to do business with, with blockchain business, crypto business yes. is working. It's becoming very hard for people to settle in dollars. Do you know, I mean, do you think because of this, a lot more companies, startups in this space will leave US and move other places? Well, that's probably yes. And they saw so Coinbase is, is yes. same, right? Coinbase just got a, a license in Bahamas. A, a lot of people are looking to EU now because you have the MICA, the MICA, the, the new regulation. Yes. It's still tough. I think even CZ Binance said, look, it's tough regulations. It's still a lot of yes. uncertainty, the holes there to be filled, but there's something, there's a path yes. for us to go. I definitely think that this is going to put the US in a weaker position than it's stronger. Yeah, a lot of this. They won't know for the 10, 15 years, because these businesses are going to become big businesses and big banks and like crypto businesses in the next 10 years or so. So they are going to miss out on this wave. And just, you know, how there are certain enclaves forming, just like in, in Switzerland, they had FINMA and they had some regulation or clarity around it. And so like now you see places like Zug, which is a small village, but hundreds of or thousands of uh, crypto-based companies moving in there and hiring and stuff and other places like Dubai and Malta and like lots of places are forming their own sort of small 
industry in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, 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 let's see how it's going to develop because a lot of the regulators around the world kind of copy the U.S. regulator, yes. follow follow the U.S. is doing. So I give an example. The Brazilian SEC yes. came maybe three weeks ago with, with a guidance on crypto and they're saying that everything is security as well. Which yeah. is a little bit sad. And then in the Brazilian market, it's quite developed. There's some yes. tokenized assets and everything already trading, which got this sign off from the, SEC, from the local SEC before. Now they came this week and say, oh, no, we are going to think about case by case, looking at exceptions. So it's just it's just becoming very messy. The regulators are still struggling to, to do what to do. Of course, the US is a guidance. Yes. And it's said that there's no clarity in the U.S. because once there's clarity in the U.S., some other countries will probably take that on board. But at the moment, we have European doing something, Dubai Middle East doing something else, yes. uh, Asian countries doing something else. I think you have seen Hong Kong has been quite proactive looking to new regulators for crypto, Singapore as well. The, in Brazil, apart from the SEC, the main regulators for crypto now is very clear is the Brazilian Central yes. Bank is, is the regulator. And it's doing a great job there, actually. The Brazilian Central Bank is doing a great job uh, providing. Uh, go. Are they introducing their own central bank digital currency, CBDC? Yeah, they have. A, the, what they are doing is very interesting. They are doing a wholesale CBDC. Yes. So the retail, the users are not going to have the CBDC, but the banks are going to be setting other transactions using the CBDC. They are creating a lower layer zero yes. blockchain based in Hyperledger Bezo. So this is the pilot. So they're using an EVM, Ethereum compatible chain. Yes. And Central Bank is sponsored that. So the Hyperledger Bezo is the network you're using. And, the, and they are very visionary. They want all the assets and liabilities of all banks, deposits, everything to be on the blockchain. And the way they are doing it is super clever. The banks are going to be, once you get a deposit, you issue a stable coin. So you have a stable coin from, let's say, Banco Santander, yes. Banco Bradesco, you have the Banco yes. do Brazil. All Every time they get a deposit, they issue a stable coin and they stable coin because they are under the same layer zero. They are compatible. So you yeah. can send stable coin to the other. And the CBDC settles all the transactions between the banks wholesale. And this is really interesting because now they, we have seen some case of Santander doing car loans, which has an atomic settlement. But when you pay the last installment of your car moves, the ownership moves from the bank to you immediately. So you don't need to have all this intermediary, the paperwork, and it's avoid. That's avoiding. amazing. <laughs> it is really cool. The central bank in Brazil is doing very, very, it's very exciting what they're doing there. And another, just give a perspective yes. how this exciting is. In India, you have the payment system, the instant payment system yes, yes. in India for retail. So yeah. Brazil copied that and put it on the kind of asteroid so you can... Now pay weekends, you can pay 24 seven and you can also, now you can also pay installments. So they are doing a, wow. a, a pilot that instead of paying, let's say you want to buy a car, a fridge, or you, you pay, okay, I want to pay in three installments. So there's a pop-up from the bank, three or four banks saying, look, how much you, if you want to buy with me, I pay, you pay this interest, you pay this per month, whatever, and you select. Yeah. And, and then this becomes an asset of the bank on blockchain. Because the the bank now is giving a loan, right? Yeah. So this immediately becomes an asset. So then the bank uses this to fund. So it's like a securitization, all yeah. real time. You're buying a fridge, I'm buying a car. People buying different things, and that becomes already a funding asset for where the banks can fund all real time. It's amazing what they're doing there. Oh, that all, is so amazing. The, it is one of the most advanced experience I've seen, and it's still in a pilot format. They want to launch this next year. 
but for me is the country at the moment which is using the technology at its best yeah oh that's amazing it's once again india skipped 20 years ago i moved to new zealand and even 20 years ago everywhere in new zealand they had we call it like f post system so you'd have a debit card and you would use like swipe the debit card no one carried any cash and every time i would go to us i would get a shock why do people carry cash around here because <laughs> in new zealand we don't have system of tips or anything and so you just every single place would have a machine because that machine would have to be connected using phone line this is a, like i'm talking 2002 2001 and all that and every register will have a system and that will be connected to your and that was the system but then in india we never got that system we went straight from writing in books like bookkeeping straight to to qr code in the last two years and you just even like the hawker on the street he is just pushing a card and selling vegetables but he'll have a qr code he'll show you his qr code on the phone and then you scan and he will immediately get that this much this many rupees came through <laughs> it's amazing because they could never in the machine here he was like in new zealand was 5000 new zealand dollars so that's 3500 us no one can afford that in india it's like like on the street and street vendors and stuff now every single street vendor or shop or everyone has a qr code you pay by qr code straight from your bank account to theirs instant transaction it's amazing to see but what you said about the brazil that that makes so much sense it it is on steroids and whenever innovation in the finance sector happens it improves the whole country it improves the whole economic activity because the velocity of money and the velocity of activity increases because you facilitate more transactions and this is what i worry about us in the long run that this is what is going to i don't know they will face headwinds in the next 10 15 years because of the decisions they are making and not innovating as fast in this area or in the regulation side Yes, we with you. And with the next three to five years are going to be very important to see how the countries are going to position and which yes. countries are going to benefit the most. And now, one thing which is very different in this technological revolution from the previous ones, like Web One, Web Two, yes. the for Web One and Web Two was led by you know uh, Silicon Valley, it was US yeah. folk, a lot of people coming from India, from Brazil, everywhere going to the US. Nowadays. you have innovation everywhere all around so the world yes all around the world and then this is going to change if the regulation is also good for that country they have a consumer based big enough to yes. start you can have great startups and great business outside the US and this later can go to other place but it's is like different technological revolution than before in my opinion oh it is things are changing really fast it's crazy it's like previously US used to make the largest So US had two things I always thought coming to being working work in different countries around the world and US had two things that it did really well one was access to market because it had a large 350 million people market with a high gdp and access to capital and silicon valley san petro like all those places immense access to capital but now so many places in the world have access to capital have access to market that it does it no longer matters and for web3 i've seen there is this whole thing of decentralization the ethos of decentralization so most companies that i speak with most founders i speak with they are all around the world and their staff is all around the world so it is they are starting remote first they are not starting hybrid they are not starting with in one location they might have a address in san francisco just for the look but they are all everyone is based all around the world and even for people who earn in us 
they go as digital nomads and work in Central America or Southeast Asia somewhere because it's a much better quality of life for some of them. Yeah, I completely see. During this, what are your thoughts on the US dollar? And I know it's uh, slightly diverting from the conversation, but... Yeah. And then before that, just to answer your other question that you mentioned about, you know, the side effects to the US, at some point, this will probably backfire. I'll just give an example, which is quite funny here. When when I was at the University of Oxford, when the research center, we were looking to regulations from the past and trying to make up parallels to regulations now. And one of the funniest, I think, stories that we have is that in, in 1865, the UK government came with a regulation to regulate cars, automobiles, right? Because there was a new innovation. You had a car that didn't need to run on tracks like trains and was, was using motors, engines to, to yes. propel the horses. And at the time, it was very dangerous, right? People, regulators are very scared of people can die. And this is very bad for the consumer. So they didn't know how to regulate. So what they did, instead of for secure, for safety, like today, we think about safety of consumers and everything. Yes. What they did, instead of thinking at the time, it was very hard to think at the time about seat belts and thinking yeah. about traffic lights. And it was airbags. You could not think at that time. What they did, they said, okay, we're to increase safety on the roads and for pedestrians and consumers. Every car needs to hire a person with uh, to run in front of the car with a red flag, waving a red flag. <laughs> Look at this, to tell the other pedestrians and tell the other horses and everything that there's a machine coming. So this was acting in 1865. So this was a little bit crazy because they didn't have, they didn't have, they didn't know how to regulate. So they said, well, think about horse, maybe horse goes in front, but the guy was not had to run. I think the guy could run maybe 10 miles or one hour, whatever, he had to stop to drink water. And this was not scalable, but that was the regulation, official regulation yes. that was in the UK for almost 30 years. So we only came down in 1896 when it was abolished. But until yes. then, that's why the expression, oh, this is a red flag. It comes from there. Everything you do is a red flag. Because yeah. there was this guy <laughs> running in front of the car to tell that there's a dangerous machine coming. So you see how the regulators are. So that's the same thing happening today. Oh, that is the most fascinating story I've heard this week. So that's where the red flag comes from. And people use it all the time that this is a major red flag in media and social media everywhere. And yeah, so it's very interesting. So that's why it's going to backfire because, you know, this, the innovation of the car was very really good because you could yes. take goods and services for places not in the train track. This was massive. You could develop yeah. a small village. You could develop, there's a lot of business that could create taxis, buses, no transportation. This was awesome for a society. But yeah. the regulators at that time could not see that. They said, wow, this is super dangerous. And yeah. we don't know how to regulate it. They couldn't think about stop signs on the corner. They couldn't think about traffic lights. So yes. that's how they came about it. It was the red flag man. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm hopeful that people will realize how powerful this innovation blockchain is for our society. That's yeah. a massive innovation, very good for our society, very positive for our society. And the regulator at some point, it might take three, 30 years, I don't know, will also come to, to, to grips and we'll do something right. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. So you know how we were talking about central bank digital currencies and US and how things are changing globally. What are your thoughts on the US dollar moving forward? Because a lot of people have two schools of thought that US dollar is here to stay. And then the other school of thought is that every major currency, whether it was the Portuguese or the Spanish or the British or the Dutch, they all stayed 
as the global reserve for 100 years, about 80 to 100 years, and U.S. is approaching 80-year mark, U.S. dollar. Uh, what do you see in the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years happening? <laughs> yeah, I think 10, 15 years is relatively short time. So within yes. that period, I don't think the U.S. will disappear or massively drop from the international space. I think you have two dynamics. One is the emergency of other potential competitor currencies uh, coming, yeah. uh, being digital or not. So even the renminbi, I think you saw recently that the Saudi Arabia agreed with China to settle some transactions in oil and everything renminbi. Brazil as well agreed with China they would settle some international trades in renminbi. So countries are now adopting not only the dollar for settling trade and also for finance, international financing of Chinese investments in different countries. There is this side. There is also the side about an emergency of a digital currency like the Bitcoin yes. and other currencies. Now, there is still, it's very hard to see at the moment one currency that could, a digital currency that could replace dollar. Because the dollar, uh, you know, if you look at the volumes of dollar transactions in the world versus Bitcoin market. Oh, yeah, cap, absolutely. It's minuscule. It's, it's Everything so else is minuscule compared to US minuscule. dollar at this stage. Yeah, so then, so 10, 15 years is too short for any major change. I think the bigger, remember, is a bigger threat to dollar than any digital cryptocurrency at the moment. And, and the central banks, some of the central banks are reacting like you see in Brazil. Yes. So, be, so there'll be local currencies being issued in Brazil, like CBDC. So I think that the technology is going to be used and some of the banks and some of the central banks will be able to adapt. Now going to the dollar specific, so that's a back, drop of my, my my view, I do feel that there is another two forces in the short term that is going to boot, put less or more pressure on the dollar. Uh, one, of course, is the U.S. inflation. If you look at the U.S. inflation, I think it's going to stay. I think that the, if you look at the historical, I don't have in front of me, but if you look at the historical inflation in the U.S., in the 80s, I think it was above 10%, 14%, I think it was the highest, and yeah. then came down massively to almost zero that we had during the crisis. But but inflation of four five percent is is okay or maybe two three percent then the yeah. interest rates about five percent is something reasonable and it's going to be the new norm i don't think your interest rates are going to go down to 0.5 percent or 25 percent in the near period this is going to put some pressure on the dollar compared to other currencies but also dollar you need to remember is it still an asset for safe to apply to safety we call right yes. so if there's risky we have this risk on risk off mode or conversation yeah. there when they the financial markets is feel that there's some risks like external risks we're talking about yes. russia we're talking about the pretty much much russian in crimea now and we yes. see other risk on risk off affected dollars yes. is still asked that people will go to so there, this dynamic is very hard to say, but since you gave me a very short horizon, 10, 15 years, I don't think dollar is going to be replaced. I don't think we are there yet, but definitely there'll yeah. be pressures on the dollar. And, you know, as there will be some pressures on the sterling as well, I think sterling is going to come under pressure at some point again. And yeah. I don't think, just to answer, not sure if that's all your question, but the, yeah, it the, is the good. dollar yeah. is not going to be replaced by a digital currency or Bitcoin in the near term, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I also don't think so. It's also because I don't think it wants to be floated openly in the market, like how US dollar is in the same way. But what I feel is that what happened is like a death by a thousand cuts. It's not that US is declining or anything, but it's just that so many other countries are coming up so fast that 
the US dollar's prominence is being reduced 1%, about 1% every single year, like over the horizon, if you see over the last 20, 30 years, because US GDP in relation to global GDP is reducing because the rest of the globe is getting richer as well. So I think that there'll be a lot more basket of currencies and stuff that will be traded as well. Right now, it's only the top 10 currencies are traded. Even if you look at the, uh, like the currency traded, it feels like anyway that, yeah, but in future that'd be, would be, I don't know, people would be trading some African currencies as well. It's just unthinkable now, but maybe in 20 years, it would make sense. I think on the trading side, yeah, there's a few roles for the currency. One is the yes. safe flight conversation, which I think is the dollars which stay there for a while. There's the trading side. There's also the international acceptance. So yes. for international settlement, there's still dollars and massive euro takes a little bit of a, that that yeah. that that share but is still very small so i agree that, you, that there is some pressure on the dollar if you compare it to 20 years be, behind like ago yeah but in other currencies might emerge but it's still the market share of the other currencies still is small for international trade but yeah. you know, this doesn't mean that dollar is going to be appreciating no so that's so yeah. we need to be quite careful if you have very long position on the dollar yeah, yeah. It is definitely interesting. No one saw it. I was a skeptic in 2010, 2011. I knew about Bitcoin. I was a skeptic back then about all digital currencies. It's like, why would any government allow any digital currency? <laughs> but of course, now we can see the benefits and how fast things move. And just as you said about the red flag thing, that now it is very clear. Back then it wasn't clear because I used to think, and I was talking with like a big sort of someone who who's lives in Africa and works in the on the blockchain side and talking to them that like why does Kenya and all these countries allow these transactions to take place on blockchain that aren't they missing out on the tax revenue like he said that okay first of all like in so many of these countries they didn't have the infrastructure 95 98 percent of the transactions were outside of the system just on the just in cash in hand type uh, transactions but now because of blockchain they are coming there is a record now so in fact it is helping tax intake rather than harming it so it, it's i see like blockchain solving the problems in places instead of creating problems and like digital currencies helping governments in fact rather than harming them so i see it now i'm not a skeptic anymore so same thing i think that it will play a bigger role some of these other currencies and stuff and it might not be one it might be 50 other new things come up that we don't see yet right now and like the case of brazil that we just mentioned for instance yes it's a great case. yeah absolutely absolutely yes just wanted to just have one or two questions and would love to learn a bit more about about your vc firm if you want to share anything if you are looking for anything for that if you are looking to connect with founders or other LPs, or if you have an ask, feel free to share it and would love to know as well, what type of companies do you invest in? Sure, a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. So the name of the of the fund is Tagus Capital. So we are Web3 fund only. So we focus on Web3 companies. We like very much infrastructure. So I give you some examples. We just invest in a company in the US. And now I can give the name, but it's called Intangible. What they do is they attach IP rights into NFTs, IP and property rights, because as you know, the current stage of development of blockchain, uh, it cannot differentiate between asset ownership and asset possession. 
So a lot of people think because they possess something, because they hold something, yeah. they own it. But then we had a lot of problems with NFTs. We, you can see Bart Apes, Moonbards. There was a lot of legal issues because these people buy something, but they cannot put in a movie. They can put, not even put in their T-shirt because they don't have the IP right. So one of the investments that we made, it was called Intangible. They are able to attach those IP rights, property rights, royalty into the NFTs and the, the IP rights travel, travel through the blockchain with the NFT, including existing NFTs. So you can do that not only to new NFTs, but existing NFTs, which is very cool. That's this is very one cool. Of the, this is one of the companies that just invest coming down. It's very, very, the three, three co-founders, very good guys. Emily is the CEO heading the team. And I think that can be something very interesting for the, the industry needs anyway. So this is one yeah. of the investments that we did. The other one as for full disclosure is also cookbooks. I guys very well. They're doing a great job based in the US as well, but they work similar to Red Hat for open source and smart contracts. And yeah. you probably talked about them before, but we also invest in the team. It's a very great team and we're very happy with them. The other company that we invest as well is actually, it's called, I'm giving the name, not sure if I can say the names here, but if you Absolutely, want to that's it. fine. That's fine. I'm uh, sure they uh, would like some free publicity and free traffic <laughs> to yeah. their websites. So yes, yeah. yes, go ahead. Yes. The, the other one is a great company, actually, uh, they're based in the UK, but work in Brazil, so a Brazilian-UK company uh, that was working with the central bank to do all this revolution that's happening in Brazil. They yes. call Parf. So they work with Banco Santander, they work with some big banks, they're helping the banks to do the case that I mentioned about the atomic settlement of the yes. car loans on Hyperledger, Bezo, and they're working with uh, other banks in Brazil, like Pradesco and other banks to do real estate lending on that. They work with C with the central bank to do CBDC. They're called Parfing. So these also, our teams are all tend to be linked to infrastructure. And there's another one that we're investing in, we invest in Israel called Sepana. They are guide team, very strong team doing work on search for block for Web3. As very cool. In Web2, normally Google and everything, you, look, you like scrape the website and look for the yes. words. In Web3, you can go inside because open source, you can go inside the applications. So you can search yeah. content inside the applications. So it's very innovative. It's very cool. It's still early. You know, these yes. are early stage companies, but those are kind of things that we're investing. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And just one last question. And that is over the next few years, where do you see the most opportunity? Because even Web3 is quite diverse and it's quite big. Yeah. So if someone is getting into this field, because it's so big, it's like there's DeFi and there's NFTs and there's, there's so many different parts to it, to even Web3 these days, blockchain or crypto world, where, would, where should someone spend their energy? I think the, there's a few things to comment. So I think in terms of trends, where do we see a lot yes. of capital in Asia? So if you think it's starting as a company, you look Hong Kong, Singapore, the Middle East. So there's a lot of capital there and people are very open, very uh, positive and con constructive about the industry, more probably than the, the, in, in the West, to be honest, at the moment for the next few yes. years. So that means that you they'll be creating clusters. There's my, my feeling there'll be some some clusters being created in Asia, Middle East, in your, in your other in that side we see also regulators there quite open we see regulators we're saying brazil also open so we see you know, the, the short term might be some very good clusters being created outside the traditional us we see europe maybe trying to catch up let's see how this goes yeah. um, so if you're thinking about where which market should develop 
Uh, of course, you have a good consumer market in the US, good consumer market in, in the EU, which are for you to take consideration. So if you're a global business, maybe you're based somewhere else, uh, Asia or something, and then you try to be very careful, depends if you're touching retail or not, but you're trying to serve global business. If you're touching retail, you will need to go to US specifically and get a license in the US, for instance. But I think some of the trends that we see. Now, what I would focus, I would focus a lot on how the real world, like RWA is that it's called, right? Real world assets. And I would look into services, for instance, that gives support to the tokenization or securitization of those assets coming to on-chain. Goldman Sachs expects, I think, $13 trillion to be on-chain on real world assets. By 2030, I think it's 13 or 14 trillion. So someone is going to be working on that, trying to work with the regulators, see what the regulators are thinking, the proactive, innovative regulators. And servicing that, I think that's a lot of business that is going to be being built there. And I think the other service that is going to be very interesting is servicing DAOs. DAOs yeah. need to adapt relations. I think the regulations are coming. So then you see the EU now, if you're, if you're a crypto business, you just register. You can still operate. You just need to register and, and follow some rules. So the DAOs are going to be need to adapt to that. So if you service the DAOs, they need to, do make, they need to make payments. They need to pay people. They need to... It's like a company. So if yes. you're if you're providing service to DAOs, I think that could also be a good business. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that's you've given enough for any listener <laughs> to to go and do their homework now. <laughs> but thank you so much. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? It's a pleasure. You can send me an email. So G for golf G dot silver. You can put in the in, in our chat at tagoscap.com you can link look for me in linkedin as well i'm there and you're happy to if you reach out to me i'm happy to exchange later a telegram and happy to 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 follow up so if you are an entrepreneur and you want to make a contact with a web3 fund delightly to see what you guys are up to or you're building and uh, reach out to us we are pleasure we are a very good team actually and uh, i think we're five people one in the us one based in Spain, our technical engineer, and we have we are three in the UK. So we delighted, you know, to have a chat with any startup, any company which are building Web three, especially on the infrastructure side that we like. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to put all these links underneath in the description in the show notes wherever this goes. Thank you. Thank you once again for your time. No, thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck with the podcast and everything, and all your yes. business. And it's been real pleasure seeing you today. And thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening or watching this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. By now, you know the drill. Leave a comment or share this episode with a friend and leave a review. I would love to hear from you. So that's why my DMs are open. Reach out to me, especially if you are a founder building a product in Web3 then I would love to hear from you. What are your challenges? Is there anything that I can help you or my community can help you with? Thank you once again and wish you best of luck in building your startup or your project.